What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter. And today, we are joined by the founder of Dark Horse Rowing, Shane Farmer. So I found out about Shane, who's actually a four-times CrossFit Games competitor in his own right, when I was researching how to improve my 500-meter row time for the annual decathlon that you guys have heard me talk about. And what became apparent over the course of my research that uh, was Shane and his team basically have the online rowing market cornered. Uh, Shane first gained some notoriety helping elite CrossFit Games competitors and actually champions take their rowing to the next level. But what I actually think is most impressive is that through the online platform that he and his team have built, you know, he's helping people of all abilities and all physical fitness levels learn how to row and use it to reach their own goals. So, you know, I credit him uh, to helping understand how to use the rowing machine. And it's actually become one of my favorite ways to work out. And that's coming from someone who actually hated that machine. Uh, and so, you know, this episode certainly begins talking about rowing, but it quickly goes down a really interesting and, and quite frankly, unintended path. We hit on a number of topics that I found to be rather eye-opening. Uh, I certainly appreciated his openness during this conversation. So, you know, make sure to stick around for the whole conversation. And, and to be quite honest, it, it really was one of my favorites. So moving on to some housekeeping items, if you have not yet, if you're loving the show, if you're enjoying it, please do leave a rating and a review. Uh, it really does help. I certainly appreciate it. You know, we use it to help new folks find the show. And, and uh, when we look, go out to get guests, that's certainly one of the metrics that they look into. So if you'd be so kind, if you're listening on Apple, leave a rating. If you would take the time to write a review, it means a lot. Uh, and if you want to reach out to me directly, again, you can go to KenGunter.com or hit me up on Instagram. I really do my best to get back to people there and uh, certainly appreciate those folks who reach out. Okay. Also, Cal Dietz's episode number 15 was one of the most popular that we've done. And I've had a number of people reach out for the five exercises that Cal said have been absolutely game changing. So I went back, I looked at the show notes, I realized of all the information that we put in those show notes, those exercises did not make their way in there. So uh, we've added that list on KenGunter.com. Just go to episodes number 15 if you want to check out the five that Cal recommended that have been absolutely game-changing for he and his athletes. Those are there now. So hopefully uh, people can stop peppering me with requests. <laughs> Alrighty. Without further ado, let's welcome Shane to the show. <laughs> Too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. <laughs> well, Shane, man, thank you for joining the show. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how are you? How are you holding up today in beautiful Southern California? It's hard not to love being here. It's always kind of, yeah, it gets a little hot during the summers, but it's a pretty great place to be. I live on a little homestead property here, so I have chickens right outside my back door and, um, or my garage door and yeah, food growing everywhere on my property. So, oh, that's awesome. So yeah. we just got chickens. Nice. Two, maybe three months ago. How many? So we have five. Okay. You'll have 10 soon enough. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I, it, it's so much easier than we thought. And we, we're yeah. on a pretty big, uh, I mean, it's a farm. We're, we're on like 12 acres out here and we free range yeah. them. And uh, so far they're doing great. And it's it's far easier than I thought it was going to be, to be do honest. Do they lay their eggs in the nesting box or do you have to go on an Easter egg hunt every day to go find your eggs? No, we're lucky. They're, they do it in the nesting box. Nice. Yeah. Nice. How about you? They Some days they go in the nesting box. Other days we find eggs just in the tall grass in the corners of the property. It just depends on where they're hanging out. To be fair, they're probably laying eggs all over the property. I just have no idea <laughs> and haven't found them yet. To me, it's always, we have, we have 10. And so it's always the like, why do we only have two eggs today? And <laughs> then, you, then it's like, well, they're probably out in the yard. I guess we just lost our shot at eggs today. Yeah. You no, know, the, the math isn't adding up. Right. Oh, so you're growing, you're growing farm around uh, the house or I'm sorry, you're growing food around the house. What are you growing? Well, so we have a half acre property here, which for San okay. Diego is, you know, decent size where we are. Um, but we have all, almost all the trees on our property are edible. So we have oh, lots cool. of citrus, uh, three lemon, three orange of different varieties, uh, three avocado, sapote, which nobody ever knows. And I nope. love it's delicious. Okay. Uh, macadamia nuts. And tomorrow, actually, we're putting in 30 more trees. We're putting in an orchard in our back, which is going to be pear, plum, pluot, apple, more avocado, cherimoya, elderberry, mulberry. No so we're, kidding. Yeah. So so, I, mean, I mean, I, now I feel I limped in here with just a couple chickens. Clear, <laughs> clearly, clearly you're into this. So is that is that a big passion for you? Yeah, I, I'm a, I found um, when we moved here. I, I didn't have a green thumb. I didn't know anything about growing food or the land or the earth or anything. Um, mm. But I've always had a very strong connection to the earth. Growing up in Minnesota, I was surrounded by rural, yeah, you know, everything. So, you know, pigs, chickens, cows, corn, lots of corn around me. Uh, but it always interested me. It helps my last name is Farmer, I guess. I'm like finally yeah. <laughs> living up to my family name. But uh, yeah, yeah, you may not love, have had a choice. Yeah, I fell in love with permaculture. Uh, which is like a lot soil ecology and rebuilding an environment based off of as few inputs as possible. Oh, cool. And so our property was kind of perfect for that. It had been forgotten when we moved here. It had been really left to fall apart for 20 years probably. Hmm. So a lot of the trees were not healthy when we got here and I kind of made it my mission to bring them back to life mm -hmm. and then really learn more about permaculture. So then I got into raised bed gardening. So now I'm looking at my garden right now. We have tomatoes, tons of dark leafy greens, watermelon, eggplant, peppers, all that's growing out in the yard as well. So yeah. And then the chickens help. And the chickens help. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we've been trying to as well. Um, we actually got honeybees. People nice. didn't know they were. People didn't know they were tuning into an agricultural podcast. <laughs> kind of chain. <laughs> like what the yeah, hell? I don't think we even knew that this is where it was going to go. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah, we got. We have honeybees. I'm fired up. They're Very they're doing cool. really well. So, do you have the suit and everything? Oh man, I've got a suit for me, my wife, my two kids. Uh, nice. The in our, our we have a little baby too, but uh, okay. uh, yeah, we're not we're not bringing him out there quite yet. Not, but yeah, it's a blast. My ki my kids just go crazy for it. You gotta, you gotta go check out uh, permaculture. Start doing a deep dive, and if you enjoy learning about the land, it's really mm. interesting. It's really in a great book is called Gaia's Garden. It was okay. kind of my start into it. Gaia's yeah. Garden, and um, you just learn a whole lot about 
how to, where to put things, how to put things, how to like, I've just, it's called sheet mulching. For example, I've sheet mulched my whole yard, bringing the soil back oh, to life. Wow. All of a sudden we're getting earthworms in the ground, which we never had before because the land was so dry and arid. Yeah. Um, so it's cool stuff. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so uh, my brother-in-law actually is starting an ostrich farm nice. down in central Florida. And yeah. I mean, I, you know, of course he's not here, but like, th this is like right up his alley. And I, I was yeah. just talking to me the other day. He's, uh, there's a whole method to the madness in terms of like which livestock goes through in which order. It's like mm -hmm. the ostrich are followed by like the chickens and the chickens are followed by, I think the sheep or whatever it is. And yeah. so, uh, it sounds like it's in the same vein, which is pretty cool. So I'll have to recommend that book to him. Yeah. Check it out. All right. Awesome. So when you're not farming, <laughs> uh, you have built a pretty cool online coaching platform. Yeah. I like and to think so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's actually how I found out about you. So, um, you know, something that would be interesting, like, can you just talk a little bit about kind of like how dark horse rowing came to be? Yeah. So I found rowing in college, obviously being from rural Minnesota, rowing wasn't a thing didn't have access yeah. to it you know i played the traditional football baseball uh alpine skiing was my deviation from basketball but okay. uh, then i got to college and just rowing fell into my lap somebody grabbed me and said hey you're tall rowing looks like it'd be your sport i fell in love with it while i was rowing um and post-college i got my first job with a business degree in a suit mm. and a tie thinking i was supposed to do that you know that's what you do when you have a business degree so i went and sold life insurance for nine months yep hated, hated my life just could not stand <laughs> it love the product hey it was not me it wasn't what i was supposed to do yeah. and uh so made the jump with no plan realized that rowing was the thing that i really missed and loved mm. more than anything at that time and so just I just decided that's going to be my trajectory. I don't know what it's going to turn into, but that's going to be my trajectory. So I started coaching uh, at a local level and then started uh, coaching at an international level on my own, started my own seminar series. Hmm. Then Concept2 heard about that, which is the company that manufactures the, the predominant rowing machine in our industry. Right. They offered me a job as their head coach uh, for CrossFit rowing. So I took that, that position on. Yeah. Traveled the world coaching for Concept2. Um, and then I believe it was right before, man, my timeline's like a little messy at this point, but basically, <laughs> uh, Sorry, they, they, they have no idea <laughs> the, basically around, well, in 2015, I realized because we'd been getting so much request for like, coaching and I couldn't be everywhere at once. And the only yeah. way I was able to coach people was by landing in their locale, coaching them and then leaving. And I just wanted to have a bigger impact than that. And so I shifted to figuring out how to coach online, rowing yeah. specifically, which was not easy. There was a lot, there was, that was a big nut to crack. Um, hmm. And so I just went headlong into that because I knew that was going to be the future of what this industry became. And so I started going down that path. And that's how Dark Horse Run was born was I need to get this message to more people. Yeah. And I wasn't making YouTube videos then. I just was writing online programming, trying to do it through blog articles, which was not a great way of teaching rowing. And <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was how it sprouted. And then it was just an evolution process from there. Um, I credit Marie Forleo's B-School, which is an online uh, okay. business course essentially yeah at, geared primarily towards women and so i was one of like 15 dudes out of probably 800 women in this course <laughs> and it, i loved it i i learned so much and it yeah. got me to make the commitment to start 
creating videos. And, ah. um, that was in like April of 2016. And so I made the commitment that I was going to make a video every single week for hmm. a minimum of a year. And okay. if I hated it at the end of a year, I could give it up. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't hate it. So I've kept it up ever since then. And now we're at two videos a week and we'll probably add to that in the future. Yeah. How, uh, so, I mean, historically, right? Like the, the really the only opportunity for rowing was crew. Yeah. And I feel like now CrossFit has just led this like huge revival of interest in the mm -hmm. sport. Like, I guess how, how important has CrossFit been to kind of like where rowing is today? Like, is that the thing that kind of like brought it, not to say that it to the next level, but I suppose like this, this much more broader appeal in absolutely instrumental, just like yeah. hands down. There's, there's no way that we would be where we are today had CrossFit not come along because every CrossFit gym needed a concept to machine. Hmm. It just, it was such a, a fundamental part of their programming because it's a suck machine. Like that's why they, they just, they don't use it in the same way that I use it. I use it as a training tool, but for CrossFit, the intent, the intensity level was what they loved out of that. Yeah. You could take somebody from zero to, oh, I hate my life in, in a minute period. And yeah. so every CrossFit gym had to have at least one. And so everybody started seeing it more than just collecting dust in the corner of their 24 hour fitness. And mm -hmm. that opened a lot of eyes to oh, maybe the rowing machine is worth paying attention to again. Mm -hmm. CrossFit hangs out long enough. You know, I came in, I started doing CrossFit in 2006 and it was a part of it then. So you, oh, know, you started doing CrossFit in 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah, way back oh, when. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was an OG in that community. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah, yeah because I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't think we've talked about it yet, but like you you were very successful as a CrossFit athlete as well, right? Went to the games yeah. multiple times. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's what I want to know about rowing. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, it's a suck machine. Right. So it can, what, it can be. It can, can be. be. Okay, so maybe that's a good place to start. So like, what yeah. is it about rowing that like, like uh, to your point, like you fell in love with in college? So there are two different ways to, to speak about this, right? Here I fell in love okay. with rowing the sport. Ah, rowing right. the sport is, it's beautiful, it's intense, it's poetry in motion. Hmm. It is as, it, I mean, it helps. It's the ultimate, the ultimate team sport, not saying it's more of a team sport than any other sport, but it requires 100% team effort. Hmm. There's no place for a superstar in rowing. So everybody just has to be on the same level mentally and physically. Hmm. Um, any weak player on either of those factors can pull an entire team back in their, their success level. Yeah. I found the, the closest friends I will ever have in my entire life through rowing as well. And we saw success as a team and success is relative, right? To us, USD where I went to school mm -hmm. did not have a history save for like maybe one or two years in the eighties of doing anything with rowing. We were a small okay. private Catholic school that had no history. And when we came into the program in my freshman year, we saw success in our first year. We were really dedicated. We were really committed. We had a good group of guys, small group. And after, at the end of that first season, the varsity came to us and said, hey, that was really cool what you guys did, you know, taking a bronze medal at Daddales, which was the first East Coast race that the hmm. school had gone to because of how we'd done through our, our first year there. They said, that's really cool what you guys have done, but don't get used to it. This is not a winning program. 
And we were like, just, just motivation. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> great. Thanks guys. And so as a, as a novice squad or as a bunch of freshmen, we basically decided that's not our, that's not who we are. You guys yeah. are welcome to be that. And we came back the next year, basically secretly planning to take over the varsity. And that's what we did. We trained harder. We were more focused. We cared more. And we, we essentially as a group took the varsity eight boat and uh, ran with it for the next four years. We owned that. And a lot of those guys ended up quitting because we just pushed it to a level where they didn't want to contribute anymore. It yeah. was too hard for them. There was too much commitment. And um, we ended up going to the national championships our senior year. Again, in this awesome. 12, 12 of us, there were, it, had any of us gotten hurt, we, the boat, the, we would have had to drop down to a single boat instead of an eight and a four. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have been able to really go and perform the way that we did. Um, so anyways, that was, that's, that's I awesome. completely forgot the original question. That's but okay. It was better than that, I was getting at anyways. anyways that, oh, I guess. So that's how I fell in love with rowing. Yeah. And where I really found the connection was when I started teaching on a ground level to people mm. who didn't care about rowing and had no good reason to care about rowing. Um, so, you know, they looked at it and they're like, why should I even bother looking at the mechanics of this or understanding the machine? And I, there's just something about the teaching element that I fell in love with and Mm. helping people find access to this machine that's usable for everyone at any stage of fitness from day one of a weight loss journey to elite athlete. Yeah. And so, you know, the way in which it was used by CrossFit, right? You Mm -hmm. said it was a suck machine. Yeah. Has has that kind of interpretation of like the role that the rowing machine can play in terms of like uh, that fitness community, that sport evolved or is it still largely used as <laughs> to your point of suck machine? It's in, in my opinion, it's evolved slightly yeah. to now what you see is some of the programming that comes along is uh they use it to expose weakness or the lack of focus on the machine. That's when you're Mm. seeing a longer, a longer piece or a longer row on the machine is typically to expose, Hey, who's taken the time to actually focus on this and who hasn't. Mm -hmm. So when you see something like a, a marathon row in the CrossFit games, it's, it's to totally expose, Hey, you know, maybe you have a good engine, but yeah, it's to break people. You maybe yeah. have a good engine, but that only goes so far. At a certain point, if your mechanics break down, if that all changes, um, it's going to get exposed really quickly. Yeah. So, you know, from your perspective, I guess, because I, I also think that's the association a lot of people probably have with, with the ERG when they walk in, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you, you burn out quick. It can kill you if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to mess with that. You know, like what's the alternative approach that like, uh, you know, how, how do you recommend that it's used by, to your point, people of all fitness levels, like in order to like get the most out of it? Well, so let me ask you this. Yeah. What was your journey through it when you joined our program? Because you, you went through our program and uh, you're kind of, yeah, we we have a bunch of different people that come in. Some come in again at stage one, Mm -hmm. you know, you being a former athlete, I'm curious from your, I'll, I'll, 
happily answer, but I want to hear your, your take on what happened and what your progress looked like. Yeah, no, this is good. Turning of the tables. So <laughs> for me, I was doing a decathlon. The people listening are probably sick of hearing about it, but, uh, <laughs> I was doing a decathlon. They, they do it all over the country now, which is pretty cool. Um, it's a charity event and 10 events. It's all one day. So it's like every 30 minutes, there's another event. So it's, it's half traditional decathlon, half like, you know, modified for the weekend warrior. So, you know, we run the 400, the 800, and then they also threw in like the 500 meter row okay. as another like kind of like sprint endurance type event. And so I had no experience rowing whatsoever. Uh, and after trying to do a 500 meter sprint for the first time, I was like, wow, I got to figure this thing out. Otherwise I'm not gonna be able to finish the day. So, you know, for me, like with most things, uh, now the internet's so incredible. I just went to YouTube. I was like, right. how do people do this the right way? Right. <laughs> how from, to do rowing basically. <laughs> right. Like everything from like, how am I supposed to actually pull this thing? Which I now know it's not a pull. Maybe Very we talk, good. We, maybe we can talk about that later. <laughs> um, you know, to like, uh, how do I deal? Well, what the hell is a damper, right? So mm -hmm. I was just coming in a complete novice, but I was going to do an event where that was a part of it and I, I wanted to perform well. And I so um, watched a lot of your videos, got a lot out of it, but I still didn't have a great sense of how should I structure my workouts? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To kind of like build up the the proper amount of like endurance and like some sort of like lactic threshold so that I could, you know, do the event and then continue to do something else in another 30 minutes. So right. that's how I stumbled upon uh, your program. And yeah, I, I got a lot out of it. Like I ended up, um, what did I do that day? And it's like the sixth event, right. but you know, and I, I do credit your program a lot. I, I think I did like a 117. Nice. And, and I, no now, I was, now I was puking after. Yeah. So nice. for those listening, let me just... <laughs> That's the suck factor. That's where yeah. that's the, the intensity level. It, did, it didn't come without a high cost, but right. uh, that's that's how I found out about it. But, you know, I, and to kind of kick it back to you, I actually started to enjoy it once mm. I began to understand how to use it the appropriate way. Yeah. Uh, now I actually like using it as an alternative to like jogging on the treadmill or right. I'll, I'll do both in the same cardio session just to like have some variety. So, yeah. That was my it, journey. It's essentially the the alternative mm -hmm. to the, the make it a suck machine is just demystifying the process and not attempting to make you suffer. Because mm. I think where where it gets a little bit confusing for people is they just they, they only see the machine as zero or hundred percent. You either give everything or you're not rowing. There's yeah. a whole lot of variance in there that happens in between where you can accomplish a lot of different things with a lot of different programming for different purposes and different reasons. Mm -hmm. So it's demystifying all of it's the demystifying the black box. Okay. It's it's making it translucent and saying, here are the factors that actually make you effective on this machine. And you can do it at 50% effort, 60, 70, and you can increase intensity as you're comfortable. And as soon as that is the discussion you're having. And also I get it. You don't want to care about rowing. You just want a good workout, right? When we have that discussion, that's far different than yeah. me looking in the face and be like, you need to care about rowing because rowing is the greatest sport on earth. So it, I love rowing. And I think yeah. there are many people that find they love it once they get into it enough. 
Mm-hmm. But that's not the opening discussion. The opening discussion is, hey, listen, this machine is very versatile for everybody. It takes, um, it reduces impact on your joints. It allows you to prolong any aerobic workout that you may not be able to do if you're on your legs or, you know, get uncomfortable on a bike or if you're not comfortable being on a bike out on the road. Or it allows you to work on a lot of different areas of your health and your fitness. Um, and let's just, let's help explain it for you. Let's show you how to put power into the machine and then how to control stroke rate. And when Mm. you can do those two things, you, it all of a sudden, it becomes clear, like the skies part, the sun comes out and you, you just look at in a whole new light, all of a sudden a 2000 meter piece doesn't seem as bad. Or all of a sudden you can row 6,000 meters in a workout and you aren't dreading it because it makes sense and your brain isn't trying to just problem solve the whole time. Yeah. Instead, you let the brain quiet down a little bit and it'll, it can be just become a bit more physical and a bit more connected. Yeah. You said something there that's interesting too, right? Because uh, and we could talk about this, but you've done everything from work with like elite CrossFit Games champions. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned there that it can be a great alternative to people who might even have like some sort of physical issue, right? Mm-hmm. Lower back pain issue with the joints. Um, you know, like, is, is it truly a machine that kind of can, can serve anyone or have you even used it as like a, a rehabilitation tool, uh, or found that it can be a successful rehabilitation tool for people who are suffering with some sort of injury? Absolutely. hundred percent. And that's, that's where so much of its popularity comes in is because you see mm. it in PT offices as well. You see it in homes, you see it as an alternative to people who have injuries from their other sports. You know, often an athletic trainer will put a football player on it if they have a bad knee. You know, you can put a skateboard under that leg and you can still move and get drive out of the good leg and still get a good aerobic workout. You can gently increase range of motion on the machine without the demand for impact, right? That, That vertical gravitational force driving you down on top of your joints you can reduce that the same goes for a bad back surprisingly a lot of people with bad backs are actually quite comfortable on the rowing machine um that's something that i was worried about actually when i was gonna start rowing because i had uh some lower back issues and i was like oh man like Mm -hmm. just watching the way that i think this thing is supposed to be operated that just seems like a lot of hinging yeah uh you know but so it's interesting to hear that it's actually the opposite yeah. And I, again, I'm not a doctor and, but, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I, this, I, I hear and see more stories of people being able to row with a bad back or with back, previous mm. known back pain, um, than people who are eliminated by back pain on the machine. But oh, everybody very cool. is very understandably cautious. They come into it, they go, I, that does not look like it can be good for the back, but the, what I've distilled down from that is that as, as you begin to learn to move your body, what you'll learn is that hinging at the hip is different than flexion and extension of the spine. Hmm. And those two things, most people marry those two together yeah. and they don't see a hip hinge as a hip hinge. They see it as flexion and extension of the spine and they're very different movements. Right. Right. It's a, a deadlift should be safe for your back as long as you can stabilize a neutral spine. Yeah. And so there is a big element of that where it's hip hinging, not spine flexion and extension. Mm-hmm. So something that I've, I've, I was just thinking about 
you know, I feel like the the rower is interesting in that most people probably think about it as like a cardio mm-hmm. device, right? But there's there's you know, for anyone who's actually done it and messed around with that damper setting, like it very quickly become like a strength endurance exercise as well. So, um, you know, from your perspective, I guess if someone's listening to this and they're like, all right, Ken, let me, let me hop on the rower and give it a try. Like, you know, what, what are the primary benefits that you, um, you know, think people can like take away from the rower? And and I guess, you know what I mean? Like, like what are, what are the, the, is it cardio? Is it strength? Is it a combination of the two? It's a, it is whatever you need it to be, hmm. honestly, because you can change resistance levels. So you can make it, you can make it aerobic. You can make it anaerobic. You can make it a, you know, fossil creatine energy system push. You can make it a leg strength device. You can use it for back strengthening. About the only thing that you can't do is create any kind of arm push. That's like the one thing you can't really do, but you get hip hinge, you get leg drive, you have arm pull in my, in my book, that's kind of hitting three of the four programming components. When I'm looking at like a complete body workout, I'm always thinking upper push pull and lower push pull. Yeah. Right. And so the only thing I can't get is upper push on the machine. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, it can handle a heavy load. So, you know, I think it's up to 500 pounds is the weight limit on this. Hmm. So you can, if you are overweight and you want to be able to sit down on this machine and get a basic aerobic workout, you can do that. If you want to develop leg strength, you can take that damper setting up. Now, there's a lot of strength involved in that. So you're getting a lot of midline stability that is necessary and a lot of recruitment around that. Um, you can take it for a spin at a marathon, which makes it very aerobic. You can yeah. hit 100 meter intervals. You know, it, it really depends on where you want to steer the workout. It's, yeah. it, it comes down to programming in my opinion. Yeah. That's interesting. And so, you know, for you, when, when you are programming, like wh- where do you start with assessment for an athlete? You it's know, all like, it. yeah, go ahead. It, because our process is fully online. Mm-hmm. We have really drilled down on how to let somebody self-assess hmm. as well as, I don't do many things well, but nobody can teach somebody the rowing machine faster or more efficiently than I can sight unseen. Yeah. And so that is what we've really nailed down. And so ultimately the self-assessment comes down to knowing the first steps that somebody inevitably needs to understand. They, they are probably asking it in some way in their heads mm-hmm. um, and they don't even know that they're asking it. Right. And often that first question is like, how do I even put tension on this handle? What establishes tension? Whether mm. the body is trying to ask that question, whether the mind is asking that question verbally, one way or another, that question is being asked. And so when the assessment comes, it's we just need to show you how to reach your desired positions, how to move safely, how to apply force, and then how to take that and you can leapfrog that into stroke rate or, you know, rating. Yeah. Um those are kind of our foundational steps there. You just need to understand positions. Once you understand positions, that will help you to apply force. Once you can effectively apply force to the machine, then you can do it at rate. Hmm. But not until you've got the first two ticked off. Those are kind of your your Maslow's hierarchy of needs on the rowing machine. On the rowing machine. Yeah, you just you have to know those first two before you can move on to rate. And often when you say go faster on the machine, it's interpreted when you know when you don't understand the machine as 
higher turnover, right? Increase the rate, but increased rate does not make you go faster on this machine because for most, if, if you're new to it, it decreases your application, your, your practical application of force onto the machine. Yeah. Because you don't have enough time to process. How do I put myself in the right position and then give it everything I've got? Yeah. So no, that helps. Well, and so, and I, I would agree, right? I've, I've gone through your program. I thought it was awesome. Um, you know, wh- what is keeping you uh, so motivated and excited about, you know, I mean, of course you have a business and there's a lot of excitement in just growing that, <laughs> right? right? But, uh, you know, like if, if you've got the foundations covered as well as you do, like like what, what keeps you so intrigued in like growing, uh, you know, the sport of rowing or the interest in rowing? What matters to me more than anything is I love coaching. I okay. love helping people change their lives. Yeah. That is the more important. That's the biggest piece of this for me is knowing that I'm having an impact on people's lives. I could sit and just look at YouTube comments and just smile all day because mm. when, when people are commenting saying, oh, wow, like this changed my life. I've lost 70 pounds using your workouts. I've, you just made this whole process easier for me. I came to you because I saw the video that we launched today was, um, rowing coach reacts to famous rowing scenes in, in, uh, TV and movies. And so, <laughs> and, but some of the comments that came in, the reason I say that is because the, some of the comments came in, I found rowing because I saw, uh, oh, who played Jack Ryan? What's his name? He was in the office. Oh, uh, John Krasinski. John Krasinski. I, I found rowing because I saw John Krasinski rowing in Jack Ryan. Ah. Therefore, I sought out rowing, came to YouTube, found you, have been watching you for a couple years, and now you are reviewing John Krasinski's rowing in Jack Ryan. Oh, man. Life is full circle. Right? Yeah, exactly. Just what what I love is just that that life change. And that's why I continue to make YouTube videos and have fun doing that is because it means I get to reach 75,000 people every time I put on a new video. Hopefully it's yeah. 100,000 soon. Hopefully it's 200. Hopefully it's a million. Mm-hmm. That, that just means that I'm helping to helping people change their lives one way or another. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And uh, actually, if, if you don't mind me asking, I know that you had a really bad uh, motorcycle accident recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how are you doing? Pretty good now. I it was a very tumultuous process. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very freak accident. A guy was jaywalking across the street, panicked when he saw oncoming traffic. It was twilight. He was dressed in all black. Uh, it was a six lane road, so he was definitely should not have been oh, on that road. It wasn't like a two lane road or something. And yeah. when he panicked, he sprinted into the side of my bike. I didn't hit him. He actually hit me. No and took, knocked me off the bike to the left. Uh, I ragdolled, hit my head on the curb, um, collapsed along, had a pretty gnarly gash on my eyebrow because I had my visor open. But mm. the worst part about it, honestly, was the the traumatic brain injury part. Um, it was really gnarly. The the wave of of highs and lows that I rode for about three months afterwards, pretty really, con- yeah, really really consistent um, vertigo. Every time I would get up or sit down or lay down or go from laying down on my right to rolling to my left, I just, I would want to throw up every single time. Um, wow. Couldn't move. I wasn't supposed to do any exercise for, I was allowed to start moving after f- four weeks. 
was that for, the, for the lung to let yeah. your lung yeah right to make sure that it was re-glued back to my rib cage um and so that was so i actually documented that on youtube i, I would i was riding my bike the the biker for an hour well not at first but i just i was like well i'm sitting on the bike by myself i might as well just go live and i started mm -hmm. going live every day and it gave me the motivation because the people were showing up and i was getting to talk to people and so every day while i was getting in my rehab work I was just chatting with the people that followed us on YouTube and it became a pretty cool thing for about three months. I was doing a live workout every day for an hour and they watched me go from being able to spend 10 minutes on the bike to being able to, you know, complete a workout with burpees, um, a couple of months later. So, wow. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. Like the sense of community you can actually build yeah. online. Right. I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's why gyms in the physical sense are so incredible. Cause like you build these relationships, you're working out next to someone. Uh, it's cool to hear that you've actually been able to like manufacture that through the platform you've built online and through YouTube. Mm -hmm. There was, I think the biggest element of it was just being raw and vulnerable to what I was actually going through when I felt yeah. what I don't, I do allow cursing on this. Show. Come on, man. Bring okay. it on. I don't know. Anyways, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. when I was feeling yeah. like shit, when I would wake up and I was like not connecting with my wife because something yeah. was going on internally, like I was speaking to them about that. I wasn't hiding mm -hmm. that part of what was going on. And that was just being very raw about how much it sucked. And it was not, it, I had never, I didn't, I didn't ever take TBIs seriously. You know, I, I didn't know Sorry, anything TBI? about it. I'm, traumatic What's, brain injuries. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I heard, NFL talking about it and how it's mm. becoming a, a thing in football. And, but I just never took it seriously until I was going through it myself. And it was like, wow, there were days I'd wake up and I just, I couldn't do anything, but just sit in my chair and just stare out the window. Like there, and that would happen for an entire day or an entire week. It was just wild. There's nothing I could do to control it. Jeez. Yeah. So, you know, that, that opening up and that, that willingness to kind of be raw, um, is, is that, just like kind of like a part of your personality. Have you always been like that or has it been a conscious effort that you've made either prior to that or through this process to be more open? I've always been pretty open. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've had several pretty impactful moments in my life. Um, and so starting at about uh, 19, I want to say, uh, I started going to therapy hmm. for a few things, actually one, one incident in particular and, um, continued to go to her and I still go to her. She was actually the, the, uh, the therapist that I went to after this accident. So I you know, oh, okay. started her with, you know, when I was 19 and still going to her years later and she introduced me to meditation, to breath work. Um, and as a, you know, it, 18 year old male from rural Minnesota, that's not an acceptable topic of conversation. You don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk about what's going on in your brain, right? It's just not a part of life. You get laughed yeah. at for that. Mm -hmm. And, but something about that process and seeing my ability to cope and work through things that have happened in my life. And now, you know, at this point, it's been lots of different things that have happened. Um, you know, it, it just, has shown me that there are more men that need to take seriously their own mental health and mm -hmm. that we need to not 
protect ourselves as much yeah. as we think we're supposed to. And that by being open and speaking about it, it doesn't make you weak. It opens up a, a, an opportunity for tools to use. Mm. Um, because of the my accident and and going through this three months on YouTube with every you know everybody there, um, we actually started a new program called The Method, which I haven't even advertised yet. It was mm. we just let in ten founding members, and so I'm working through them, through working with them right now as I kind of flesh out the the rest of the details. Oh, very but it's cool. a lifestyle program uh, that's loosely ties in rowing, very mm-hmm. loosely. But more importantly, is about really encompassing becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. And to the, that extent, once a week, I'm running a live session with them that starts with meditation, moves into a yin stretching segment, hmm. and then ends with some kind of breathwork session. And there are people in there who that was never what they signed up for. And it's yeah. become almost the, the thing that they love most now is that that Thursday morning down regulation session, because hmm. I've just seen so much positive in my own life from recovery when I was crossfitting and the stretching element to the breathwork changes that I've seen and the things that I've personally experienced from breathwork sessions and then where meditation can take you. I mean, it just is, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Oh man. I, I love that. And you know, that is one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast. Um, I actually don't know if I've talked about it too much on the show, but like, you know, when I was, let's see, I think we got married. I was 27. I just started a new job. I'm in sales, which is is already stressful. We had a baby. We're living in New York. And when all of those new responsibilities kind of got piled on, kind of cracks started to show things that Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really realize were there or things that I was able to like kind of I don't know if move through is the right way when I was only responsible for myself. Mm-hmm. But once I had the added, you know, responsibility of like taking care of my wife, you know, being a good father, not bringing work stress home, it was like, oh man, I got to make some changes because I do not like the person that I'm kind of, uh, you know, devolving into because of this stress. And so in doing that, right, I meditation I got into. Uh, I have not been doing as much of it as of late um, as I would like, but you know, it made a profound impact in my own mental well-being. And so, the show is kind of like, look, I've I've started to dabble into some of these other areas where I've seen improvement. It's like, how can I go out and and find other people so that they can share their experience or make people aware of like other approaches that might be beneficial to them? So. Something that you mentioned a couple times there that I would love to talk to you more about uh, is is the breathwork piece. Yeah. Can you can you share a little bit about you know when you say breathwork, like what are you referring to? Yeah, well, breath saying breathwork is like saying exercise, right? Okay. Like, how do you exercise? Like, well, oh, there. Let's unpack this a little bit. There's, a lot of places a, to start. Yeah, so many places to start. And I've been lucky enough that I've been. Um, many moments actually been surrounded by some really powerful practitioners who have taught me different methods. Hmm. So power breathing has been one. And that was, I was using that in a, in a therapy perspective, um, which uh, starts for the lung. No, no, sorry. Uh, mental therapy. This was when I was actually working with my therapist, um, as, as trauma release and a couple of them Ah, have been trauma release related, but they're very impactful for both trauma release and for just breath, um, practice, but mm-hmm. it essentially is a, is a hyperventilation, 
uh, technique that ends in uh, breath hold and under supervision, of course. And it it's unbelievable. I mean, practiced in cycling, you can get to the point where you're holding your breath for five minutes at a time. Yeah. It, your first time doing incredible you know you work through maybe one two to three cycles and by the third cycle you're holding it for five minutes i mean it's just incredible um so i i've actually i've done one session and i didn't even realize it was power breathing until you just described it and what you just different names so every different practitioners call it different things yeah and you know the practitioner that i worked with uh i don't know if i'd have her on the show it was (laughs) it was part of a whole other thing yeah. Uh, people are like, dude, talk about that other thing. You're just yeah. going to hang it. Well, but, you're going to leave. You're not going to tell us on. about this thing. Well, so, all right, we'll, we'll dive into it. So I, let's see, I was, I think I was 25 and, uh, my, my roommate is a stand-up comedian in New York city. He's now a commentator, uh, for ESPN college basketball. It was a pretty interesting, uh, cast of characters in that room. And, uh, one day he, he sends me, uh, this email. And it's like an, a casting call for men with thinning hair. And I'm like, dude, go fuck yourself. He's like, no, did you open it? He's like, look at it. And I'm like, he's like, it, it's actually a really good opportunity. He's like, you go in, it's for men's health and Rogaine. Uh-huh. And what they're going to do is like, they want young dudes in the city who think they're losing their hair. And they're going to build this whole thing around like growing your game. I can't believe I'm talking about this. I tried to bury this. <laughs> deep in my past talk about Get trauma. skeletons out of the closet yeah man we got to let's be open and uh so anyways but it was kind of cool so it was like over like i don't remember it was like six months or something but every week we got introduced to like something that was going to help us like develop as a person and, and this mm. one week was with this breath coach mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> so anyways it, it starts out at the bar which is probably not the best place for a breathing session <laughs> weird place to start a breathwork session yeah but. yeah well and so anyways, we, we end up going back to like her studio and she puts me through this whole breathing exercise and it takes about an hour. And some of it was what you were describing. I, I didn't know the power breathing, but that's what we did. But uh, I mean, it was like a really profound experience. Mm-hmm. Like I to the point where I felt like I had tapped into something in my body only by breathing mm-hmm. that I didn't know was possible. And I was kind of like, wow, like how have I had this potential psychedelic? Almost, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, and and what I remember specifically was, I think this might have been kind of what you were describing. But basically, I was like laying on my back, Mm -hmm. and uh, people like, "Oh man, this is getting juicy." I was laying on my back, and basically, I'm trying to remember what I was doing, but I was almost breathing to the point of, um, like, I I was getting exhausted. Like, I was Mm -hmm. breathing to some pace, and she was like, "Just stay with me. Don't lose it. You're gonna want to give up." and eventually like I, you almost kind of like, I kind of blacked out so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like the most calming, almost like psychedelic experience, kind of like you're saying. And you know, I, I think I f- it felt like it was maybe 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And by the time I kind of like, you know, came out of it or she talked me out of it, I was like, that was wild. She's like, how long do you think you were under? I was like, I don't know, like 30 seconds. And I think she said like five or 10 minutes or something just insane. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that was incredible, but I've never done it again. Yeah. And I've always wanted to. And so like you talking about like how profound it's been for you, I'm, I'm, I'm all fired up over here. I'm ready to dive back in. So I'm sorry. I completely stole your thunder. No, no, it's fine <laughs> there. I mean, there, so I, I've had a similar experience, um, 
with another version of it called biodynamic breath work or biodynamic okay. breathing. Um, and funny enough, it was with a practitioner who split her time between New York and uh, Mexico. And I mean, it, I had a session where I, it was pure psychedelic in nature, took nothing. I mean, it was just yeah. breath work. Um, my, and I, I, I struggle to say this because I feel like when, when you start getting to this depth is when you start to get people like, ah, got it. He's, he's, he's real hippy dippy. Oh um, yeah. Oh, this guy's out there. But, it, but in reality, I, it's, I have to imagine that that is what psychedelics are like. I haven't taken them. I don't know, but hmm. I was seeing in fifth dimensions and sixth dimensions of like energy that I couldn't process. Hmm. I was, I didn't, my, my body went into full body convulsions and not like scary, but I was in control, but it was like, it was in such a relaxed state that all of a sudden like energy was just vibrating through. It was nuts. And it yeah. lasted three hours. Oh, wow. And I was, I, I didn't know how long I'd been under either. It was very similar. Like, oh, how long have I been? And it, three hours later. Wow. We actually had to, she'd like wake me and move me to another place because there was another class starting where we were. And I just, it, she like took me to another place and I went back under just immediately because it was, I was just so deep into it. It's crazy. crazy. Well, and I remember too now, there, there was some sensation that like my arms were rising. Mm -hmm. I don't know they if probably that were well, and, but I don't think, I think she was like the other, they, no, they didn't move at all, but it oh, was okay. like almost like a weird out of body. And I, I think if anyone's listening to the show that no one's going to mistake me for being hippy dippy. So yeah. I don't know, maybe I can be like the neutralizer some, here. Yeah. Some neutralizer to be like, no, there's, there's really something <laughs> to this if you try it. Um, have you, have you ever gotten another experience like that again, or is the breath work that you're doing now for like a, a different purpose? It, the purpose depends. And, you know, so like the group that I, that I take through right now, I've done like some power breathing sessions with them, not with that intent. Like I'm not trying to do trauma release therapy. I don't, I'm not yeah. qualified to do that. I'm just trying to help them expand their horizons as to what they have as tools accessible to them. So, um, you know, we've also just done controlled breathing where mm. we're working on like one minute breath cycles to learn to tap into your breath and understand that we don't need to live in a sympathetic breathing state where we're in like panicked breath all day, every day. And that learning to control your diaphragm and learning to control your lungs is just as important as exercising or eating right. Uh, yeah. Because it, I mean, we need air to live it makes sense that we would learn to control that system of our body, which mm -hmm. brings oxygen and allows oxygen out. It's, it really is so wild that it's neglected. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it is literally imperative that we do it yet. We just kind of like take it for granted. And like the way that we do it is the way that we do it because we live in a, we live in a sympathetic state. Yeah. Can you talk little, all the time? Can you talk a little bit about that? What, what you mean by that? Yeah. So sorry. So no, no, no. But I, I think, I think for a lot of people to your point, right? Like they're like, I, d I didn't even realize I'm living in a sympathetic state. Yeah. What, but what does that even mean? Right. Yeah. I'm like yeah. using words that aren't, that don't um, make sense to the lay person. A sympathetic state is essentially your fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. It's living in stress. 
essentially is what a sympathetic state is. It's waking up and checking your phone immediately. It's going to bed, staring at your screen. It's worrying constantly about whether you're on time or late or what's happening while you're on the road with traffic around you or worrying about your bills or, 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 or that's yep. a sympathetic state and yeah. never stopping to downregulate hmm. and, and tap into our parasympathetic nervous system. It's an actual nervous system. This is not like hippy dippy. This is, this is, Oh yeah. This, this is, is, this is science, right? Right. Um, our sympathetic nervous system is what is responsible for our ability to fight flight or freeze. That's our mm -hmm. sympathetic nervous system. When it gets overwhelmed, that's when you freeze and black out in high stress situations, right? You talk to, not that I'm military, but you talk to anybody who's in a high stress work position and you have to train and you can elevate that position so that you don't freeze when things get really scary and really hot. We just um, had uh, Chris, Chris Hinshaw on and it's mm -hmm. so interesting. He was just talking about that, that in addition to the stuff he's doing with CrossFit athletes, that's one of the areas um, where he's trying to help make an impact because of exactly what you're saying. And I mean, obviously with everything going on in the world right now, you know, sure. there's, you know, I think everyone's well aware that there's a need to get, uh, folks in that service, you know, trained to be able to help handle these high stress situations. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly what he was talking about is, is, is the need to like prepare them to be able to like operate and function under these like high stress situations. Because you will always deviate to your lowest level of training. Always mm. in a high stress situation, you will always fall onto your lowest level of training. And so if you have not trained in high stress situations, if I put you into, uh, I don't know what they call them, a, a shooting house scenario where you are going in. If I took a lay person off the street and handed them a gun and put them into that house, the first thing that pops out from inside of a room is just going to scare them to the point of like, ah, I'm done. I don't right, want to hold right. this thing anymore. I don't even know what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. Right. Yeah. And, but the same happens in emergency situations in life. If you see some, if you've never practiced putting on a bandage onto a, a really bloody limb, right? If you've mm. never put yourself into a practice scenario where you're putting on a bandage like that, you're not going to rise to the occasion that, that like, that doesn't have, that's, what movies are made movies, of. That's yeah. not what happens in real life. If you see somebody with a broken leg at a 90 degree angle and you've never attempted to think about what that would be like to experience that or see that in real life, you'll start puking. You will not be able to handle the stress of how to actually help that person. Yeah. You have to put yourself in stressful scenarios to be able to handle stressful scenarios. Yeah. Anyways, that's your sympathetic nervous system. Your parasympathetic nervous system is what brings you down. Mm -hmm. It's what we attempt to use wine and alcohol to do is to help us downregulate. It's not really what they do, but it allows us to kind of like forget. That's where a lot of us go in, in an attempt, whether we realize it or not, to get there. Yes, to correct. get to that feeling. Yeah, correct. And I'm not judging on that by knowing I drink I alcohol. No, I use alcohol. I don't, you know, I'm, I, I have no, um, I don't want anybody to feel bad about doing that because yeah, that's, that's just part of our society. And, but, but parasympathetic nervous system is absolutely trainable, just like your sympathetic nervous system is. Yeah. So just like we can elevate our lowest level of base training, we can also elevate our ability to trigger parasympathetic and mm. go into a parasympathetic, relaxed, down-regulated state, which is going to allow us to actually listen to what our body is telling us.
It's our body's constantly sending signals to our brain, right. but we just don't ever listen because we're being fed by the inputs that are coming in from around us. This mm -hmm. is essentially listening to the inputs that are coming from inside of us, real physical inputs, not just like, how do I feel today? Right? Like the right, different, right, right, right. you do that, but you are also really taking in the signals from inside versus the signals from outside. And that's probably yeah. a good analogy for what sympathetic is receiving stimulus from the outside. Parasympathetic is receiving the stimulus from inside and paying attention to it. Hmm. Yeah, that's something that uh, personally, like, I just, oh, man, I need to get better. And we were kind of catching up before we started recording, you know, in an attempt to do so many things, it's very easy to just be hit with like constant inputs, constant. you know? So, so for me, it's like work, trying to get the podcast, uh, you know, uh, up and going each and every week. Uh, the kids being married and my, my wife's awesome because she's going to listen to this. Um <laughs> Right. It's like, it's very easy to get overwhelmed. And it's, you know, I think a lot of people feel like, well, where do I, where do I build in the time to like do nothing? Right. You know? Um, so I mean, for you, like clearly, you, you know, this is something you, you think about You're your sounds like running this awesome, uh, I don't know what we'd call it, like a closed beta of this yeah. method program, which is pretty cool. Um, how, how do you build these into your own day to day? I'll be honest, I'm not perfect with my own practice either. I wish yeah. I made more time. I'm also married. I have a kid with, um, I have a dog, I have chickens, I have a yard that I'm constantly, I have a business. There's a lot right. that I am juggling as well. And like you said, we were talking about this ahead of time. But yeah. um, for me, it is simply being cognizant of what I am and, and am not doing. Hmm. Any opportunity that I can take for two minutes of down regulation is a success in my book. I don't need it to be hour long sessions. I don't need it to be that I show up to a yoga studio three times a week. Mm. I think there's value to that, but I get, uh, in my opinion, the down regulation can happen from a sitting and stretching session for 10 minutes. It can happen from an hour long breath work session or a three hour long breath, three hour long breath work session or a five minute meditation. I think you can find it anywhere. And so yeah. my own practice is that when I can, I try to be cognizant of what I am doing with my energy in that exact moment. If that means that I'm sitting on my computer, but I'm focusing on controlled breath work, or maybe I close my mouth while I'm on a walk with my dog and I nose breathe only while I'm on a walk with my dog, or mm. maybe I shut down and after my wife goes to bed, I sit down and actually have a, a true meditation or stretching session. Um, and often those two kind of go hand in hand or I, I honestly look forward to my Thursday mornings with the method group, just teaching it is an, is a down regulation for me. Yeah. Because I, ha if I'm not truly believing in what I'm saying, you're going to sniff that out a mile away. Down regulation sure, yeah. takes like real genuine input. And if I'm speaking like I am now where I'm like excited on caffeine and you know, I'm like going back to film a video after this is over and right, right, right. If I'm talking about like meditation, you know, like it doesn't fall the same way it does as to if I have to kind of pre down regulate myself to be Got able to have it. So. No, that, that makes sense. Um, so that's great. And, uh, I imagine the method is something that you're going to roll out in a broader sense, uh, in the near future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm okay. deadline. I'm, I'm looking at like maybe mid July is kind of oh, what I'm okay. thinking for when we, we open it, uh, to the public. 
I'm going to, it's, I'm going to continue to keep it a closed group. Yeah. So I'll probably, I think we're going to cap it at like 200 people at the most. Mm. And after that, um, it's going to be, you know, only as many spots open as, as many people, you know, decide not to continue. But, um, it's a number one, there's this just, you would probably love this. It's a concept called Misoji, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, I haven't. Please. You know, Kyle Korver, uh, yeah. NBA player. Yeah. So I actually learned about this by an, because of an article that was written about him and his trainer in outside magazine in like 2014. If you search okay. outside magazine and Misoji, yeah, it'll explain the concept beautifully, but essentially okay, I'll link to it. Yeah. It's, it's called like the once a year workout plan. I think this is the name of the article. Brilliant oh, no, copywriting. Now, there. now, now people are perking up. Right. The idea is that once a year you tackle a workout that is so hairy in nature that it's not about the success or the failure of the workout. And you basically give yourself like a, a period of time. So maybe a 24 hour window to complete it, but mm. it's not about the success or the failure. It's not about training for it. It's simply showing up and attempting a task that is so big and so hairy that it teaches you about what you are truly capable of. Oh, and cool. for the rest of the year, you can live on that idea of well, while this may be hard, what I'm going through right now, it's nothing compared to what I attempted to do six months right. ago. I and, love it. and so in the method, it is based off of the premise of, of uh, tackling a Masoji together hmm. once a year. And so throughout the year quarterly, we actually have what we call micro Masojis, which are like little, maybe like three hour events okay. that are still very challenging in nature, but not something like a, a 12 hour or 24 hour window. And that misogy happens when we're all together. And, um, I love this. So that is the basis of what, of what the method is working towards is helping people to really open their eyes to what they are capable of. And yeah. that's why we, you know, we mix in a little bit of rowing, we, you know, it's a there, that's an element of it, but mm -hmm. why we have down regulation sessions, because you need to be tuned in with what is happening between your ears to go through something like that. I can't yeah. have somebody off the street, just show up and attempt a, a 24 hour something or other, you know, I, the, the example I, in, in the article, they, um, I think they started at, I don't remember what the island was. I want to say like Catalina Island and mm. paddleboarded to Long Beach. Um, <laughs> none of them knew how to paddleboard. They just like <laughs> got on paddleboards and paddleboarded from like Catalina Island to Long Beach, okay. which is a, yeah. a long ocean crossing with just like one small boat following them. Oh, and it took God. them like nine hours. Their hands were just bloody at the end, but they did it. Yeah. And again, it wasn't about how long it took. It wasn't a race. It wasn't a, it's none of that. It's simply are you willing to put yourself in a position where you, you just have to, and if you fail, it's okay because you put, you took yourself to the point at which you failed. Yeah. And we learn just as much through our failure as we do through our success. And Absolutely. so that, that was one of the examples. It's really amazing. And I've held on to this concept since 2014, since reading that article and I've looked for an outlet and it never made sense in anything else I've ever done. Yeah. Until I started the method. And the day I started the method, it was this massive, massive epiphany of this is it. This, this is, is the group that will be able to make it through a Masoji event. This is the way that I will be able to bring 200 people together to on a, a weekend somewhere in the world, who knows where, but every year we will have 
this almost ritualistic hmm. physical event that we all attempt. Oh, it's so cool. Um, and it's funny. I have you have you read David Goggins' book? I have not. Okay. I'll be honest with a young kid, my reading level has like <laughs> Well, if, if you don't know anything about David Goggins or if the people listening don't, I mean, he's a uh, he is, you know, a former Navy SEAL who just prides himself on, like, trying to find his boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to paraphrase and to terribly paraphrase, but basically he's like humans are only operating at like maybe 20 percent of their potential. Like Absolutely. the average person has no idea what they're actually capable of. And like thinking about work capacity, you know, like. Mm-hmm you really don't know what tired is or to, to the extent that you can actually push your body uh, in terms of physical exertion. You know, the one, uh, <laughs> the one thing that he did that stands out to me is I think it, I, it was one of these ultra marathons. Um, you know, I think he was like a big like weightlifter at this point and he just mm-hmm. went out with no training. And I think it was either 60 miles. I don't want to over-exaggerate. It might've been a hundred miles, yeah. but he just did it. Yeah. And like there were some pretty serious physical repercussions, but like he just sure. he pushed through that physical and mental barrier. Um, and I remember reading about that and just being like, oh, that's so interesting, you know, and like mm-hmm. to your point, once you kind of you've taken the limiter off and mentally, you know what you were capable of the next time you hit adversity, you know that you can go so much further. We are elevating our lowest level of base training. Ah, uh, Yeah. Brought it back. There it is. <laughs> Bring it a full circle. Full circle once again. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, perfect. And then, so, I mean, we talked a little bit at the beginning about all the things you're doing agriculture-wise around your house. Is, is nutrition a piece of this as well? Uh, yes. It's What I'm finding is that nutrition is just very naturally falling into the discussion for everybody, mm. but it is not becoming the highest priority of what we're okay. doing. Um, because just by nature of, Hey, I'm realizing that, that my whole life could be improved, that all of the things that I'm doing are worth analyzing. The nutrition comes into play as a part of it. Yeah. And my, my own philosophy on, on nutrition is that I am anti-dogmatic. So I don't believe in any one right way of eating accept that everything in moderation, including moderation itself. Mm-hmm. And so, and at the end of the day, you really can't argue with eat meats and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, you know, like that, that's kind of hard to argue with. And yeah. so the more vegetables you can put into your diet, the better. I think that generally as a, an American society, we could do with like scaling back our meat consumption mm-hmm. a little bit and not placing such a high priority on meat consumption. I'm not saying we shouldn't eat meat. Um, but if you choose not to, I'm also okay with that. I think there are ways to balance out nutrition, but generally consume a lot of vegetables, have some fruit, yeah. eat meats that don't take a lot of pro eat foods that don't take a lot of processing. And generally you're on a good health path. I completely agree. And I actually, we did an episode about this earlier. Um, but I feel from a nutrition perspective, it's like you can get pretty far with common sense. Like yeah. you intuitively know what is bad for you and what mm-hmm. is it generally good for you. You know, to your point, processed food, a ton of sugar, right. um, probably not great, right? Vegetables, meat in moderation, uh, you know, preferably something that was like raised, uh, I don't know, in an environmentally conscious, yeah, sustainably environmentally conscious way, like is probably going to be better for you than something that's just pumped full of hormones. It's like, 
so I, I agree with you there. So that'll actually be a pretty short conversation. And, <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe we can end with this because I'm, I'm interested to hear now just kind of like knowing um, all the ways that you're seeking to like optimize. And maybe that's not, maybe I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but it, it seems like you're very conscious of, of trying to like, I guess, optimize uh, your own potential or kind of like what you're getting out of everything that you're doing. You know, going back to this traumatic brain injury, um, how did you approach recovery? Patiently and yeah. slowly. Um, I was meditating every day. I was taking um, supplements, like good, just general health supplements um, to attempt to, to supplement what I might not be getting through my food. Mm. I cut all alcohol. Um, I increased my vegetable intake and, um, I just truly listen to, you know, I, I don't always think that doctors are the best when it comes to like lifestyle suggestions. I think they're great for emergencies. <laughs> like they save my life. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to like recovery stuff, that's not really what they're attuned for. Mm -hmm. But, uh, m they told me, you know, Hey, don't, don't work out for, I can't remember if it was a month or two months, but you know, don't, don't f be physical for a month. And so I just kind of said, all right, I'm going to listen to that and it's really going to suck and I'm not going to enjoy it, but I probably could use the time to let my body truly heal and focus on nothing but making sure that my lung is good for the future. Because if my yeah. lung is out of commission, I'm going to suffer for the rest of my life because mm -hmm. of this. And my life is, you know, physical. And, yeah. uh, and if I lose that and I lose lung capacity, I'm in trouble. So a lot of patience, um, and just trying to fine tune as many of the dials and levers as I could pull as possible. And like I said, you know, cutting alcohol, increasing supplementation, increasing vegetables, decreasing protein consumption, um, to just try and get as micro, as many micronutrients in my body as possible, taking plenty of probiotics hmm. and then just gently walking myself back on the physical level and really, you know, it started with man, the first week, I think that I started moving again. I was taking five minute walks every day. Oh, wow. Um, you know, with, with my, with somebody with me. So that in case anybody, anything went wrong that I had somebody there and there's mm -hmm. nothing like being a, you know, having gone to the CrossFit games and taking a five minute walk and needing somebody next to you for safety. Yeah. Um, so that was it. I mean that, and, and I just took my time and listened to my body every day, lots mm. of meditation. Cause I just knew that I needed that, especially with the traumatic, traumatic brain injury piece. Did um, that, did, and that, I guess that's one of the things I was interested in getting your opinion on. Do you feel the meditation serve to actually help with the rehabilitation of the brain or was it, was it, uh, more like the emotional kind of healing that you needed going through this like traumatic experience and like the hard recovery that you had to go through both. It both. was, it was helpful from an actual, I believe it was helpful for my brain to actually slow down. One of the, one of the things that came up for me and I, I believe everybody's brain injury is, is independent, right? Is, mm. We don't, a brain injury is not the same for all people. Yeah. For me, I would get completely lost in my words. If you and I, I couldn't do this podcast would not have been doable. I couldn't yeah. 
think far enough ahead of time that it was just my mouth running and my brain just trying to catch up. And so I would forget words. I'd be in the middle of a conversation and I would just get, I would start to get angry because I couldn't pull up the words that I wanted to. So it allowed me to slow down and give my brain time to process and kind of feel normal again. It allowed me to feel what I was actually feeling and going through. And so that helped um, Mm. with the emotional piece as well, because I was reckoning with, do I feel really shitty today? And just saying like, it's okay. You, you don't have to, you don't have to grit your teeth through this. Mm. You can, you can feel shitty. That's acceptable. Yeah. And, and you can talk about it and you can say, I feel shitty. And you can, in the middle of a conversation with your wife, stop and say, I can, can we, can we just stop the conversation? I'm getting frustrated that I can't speak right now. You know, and to her credit, she was amazing. She would just walk away. And that was yeah. all I, that was exactly what I needed. I just, you know, for me to try and justify why I had to, that's hard. So, you know, I stopped taking phone calls and things like that too, because it was just not doable for me. Yeah. So the, the, the meditation really gave me space to work on all of the elements of my healing and the physical. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of work in those meditation sessions where I was imagining my lung healing where I was in, I was, you know, vision casting or envisioning whatever you want, yeah. seeing that lung stick to the rib cage again and feeling mm-hmm. fully inflated and seeing air flow in and out of the lung. And so that was, you know, a part of the, the, uh, rehab as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've never, you know, to your point, no, new two injuries are the same, but I, I played college football and I don't know how many concussions I had, but I had maybe one or two, one specifically that was bad. And so I can, I can relate in the sense that I remember what it was like to not be able to like, no, have no verbal recall, mm-hmm. um, or to not be able, like, I, I think I've even said this on the show before, but like, I would read two sentences and I couldn't remember what I just read, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was like a week, week and a half. I don't know. It was kind of scary, but I was interested to ask because now I'm at a point, and I think a lot of it too is like, I do not get enough sleep because our really? youngest just does not sleep through the night. He's just, he's, ador- he's adorable. He's six months. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're right. We're in the midst of sleep training this guy. Um, but like, I, I get frustrated now with some of these things, right? No traumatic brain injury or at least, well, I mean, who knows, who knows, yeah. but, uh, my wife might argue otherwise. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and so I'm always interested. I'm like, man, is it just a factor of stress? Is it lack of sleep? Is it all of these things combined? And so, you know, to your point, um, always interested to hear what people are doing to kind of like try and uh, optimize brain function, I guess maybe is the easiest way to say it. Yeah. Do you mess around with nootropics at all? Do you uh, do much? I haven't. I'm interested, but I just haven't taken the, it's one of those, I feel like to go into it, I, I want to really overcome like the understanding of everything that's happening there and, and get more into the society before I, de- you know, just jump into it. Yeah. And I just haven't done the research. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Shane, man, this has been awesome. I appreciate it. it. Been. I think uh, people are like, oh, we went from honeybees to rowing <laughs> to uh, all the way, all the way down to nootropics and back. So yeah. This was great. Um, so for people who want to uh, follow what you're doing, mm-hmm. where is the best place to do that? Any social channel, uh, Dark Horse Rowing mm-hmm. or our website, darkhorserowing.com. 
our the that's how you're going to find us. Our biggest social channel is YouTube. Yeah. Um, so if you want to really dive into what it is that we do well, come find me over on YouTube, youtube.com slash darkhorserowing or our website, darkhorserowing.com. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll make sure to direct people all there. And I, I'd, I'd be, it'd be remiss not to ask, how are you feeling fully recovered? Is the lung good? Are you feeling, feeling yeah, sharp? I do. I, I definitely feel back. It was end of February now. So I've, I think I have enough time between the accident and now that I, and with everything in the world, just you know, sliding south lately. Uh, you know, I'm thankful that kind of like it all started to hit right as my recovery was ending. So it at least gave me the time. It was kind of like the world shut down to let me recover. Yeah. And, and then as it started to, to spin up again was when I started to feel okay. So it, it all kind of timed well. Awesome. Well, good, man. We're glad to hear it. And, uh, yeah, man, thank you for the time. This has been fantastic. And we'll have to have you back on sometime soon. Hear more about the method for sure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. You better go ask mommy, daddy. (laughs) Okay. Let's get to it. Let's do it. We were just talking. I need to get back to my my snazzy intros. Yeah. Everyone loved those. All of our fans. A lot of of actual fan mail. (laughs) Yeah. Handwritten notes requesting more serenading of me weef. (laughs) So uh, I told you this when I recorded it. I was really excited about the direction that this one went. It, I, I did not see this one coming. Didn't even see it coming. No. All this time, and I can still surprise you. Yeah, because, uh, you know, and I was, at first, like, I'm very interested in what he does with mm-hmm. his business. I Like I said, I use this platform. I think it's awesome. I think uh, he's very sincere in that, like, he really loves helping people. And, you know, I found all the rowing stuff very interesting and I hope people took something away from that. But I thought the second half of the interview was just. Yeah. Awesome. So great. Yeah. Um, and like he said, because he opened, you know, he's a, he's My a very favorite was open the first person. part about gardening. <laughs> <laughs> the first 30 minutes. I know I could have done that all day. <laughs> I was like, you had me at orchards and uh, now he has me inspired to put an orchard in our backyard. Yeah. Just to add that to the list. Yeah, we've been talking about that for years. Of to-dos. I know. He inspired me. But hey, if you're out there and you're on the fence about getting chickens, you heard it here, folks. Not that hard. Yeah. And actually, you're the driving force for us having chickens. I want to I want to like give you, you know. Credit where credit's due. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, because you didn't think I was capable of managing chickens no. with all of my other responsibilities. Okay. So there's some half truths in there. Yes, I was a little concerned. My primary concern was, were we going to get chickens and were they quickly going to become my responsibility? One time we got bunnies and yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a good experience there for was a failed, anyone. I, I spent all my time trying to recapture our bunnies. After six months of building a bunny hutch. Yeah. And it's a nice bunny hutch. Yeah. Now it's a chicken coop. Now a chicken coop. <laughs> the many lives. Anyway, we're getting off track. Where were we? Uh, so I thought this one was great. And actually none of my takeaways have to do with rowing because mine, yeah. I think we addressed that. But one that kind of really stuck out to me, and it's important on a lot of levels, but you know, he said it, I think one or two times in there, but y- you know, you'll always deviate to your lowest level of training mm-hmm. in like a stressful situation. Yeah. Yeah. That made me think, made me think about a lot of things, you know, training, performance, whatever it is. Um, but that's so important because it's, you know, when your heart rate gets elevated and your mind starts operating a mile a minute, 
you know, like decision making can really be affected. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of <laughs> if it's an area of your life that's critical that requires performance in the clutch, this is something to take good note of. Mm-hmm. You know, like when a shit hits the fan, you're not going to perform at your best. Like those heroic moments of you like threading the needle mm-hmm. are like far and few between. It's much more likely, as he's saying, that you're going to like deviate to kind of like the the most basic level of training that you received. So, yeah. you know, with everything that's going on in the world, talk about like police reform and education and training, like this is super important. But I'm thinking in my own life, like where are there opportunities where I can elevate my own lowest level of training in areas that matter to me? Mm-hmm. what do you think of that one? Did that one make sense to you? We were kind of yeah, chit-chatting no, it was about cool. that. Yeah, um, it's a definitely, because I always think like, you're in a panicked moment and then your adrenaline yeah. kicks in and you like do something heroic, but <laughs> I guess that's and we would, just in the movies. But everyone else out there. Yeah, we would totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would totally, we would crush it. Uh, you know, it's funny. I always think about it in terms of like protecting our family. I know. Yeah. Like if there's an intruder. Yeah. How am I going to handle it? Or a flying squirrel. Or a flying squirrel. We talked about the flying squirrels. Yeah, we did. We already talked about it. We, we don't handled, want to bore them with that again. We handled that shit though. We, yeah, we handled that. <laughs> yep. Emphasis on we. Okay, number two. You had a good takeaway. Um. Yeah, I did. About mental health. Yes. I. So another direction I didn't see this one mm-hmm. going in at all, but he made a point of saying that men need to take their mental health more seriously and speaking about it and being open about it doesn't make you weak. It opens up an opportunity to to um, have more tools to use. And I thought that that was, I mean, I 100% agree with that, but a lot of men don't put their mental health at the forefront. Yeah. And I love what you said the last part. Um, what was it about? More more tools to use? Yeah. I feel like if, if because a lot of people, anyone who's listening to the show. No, I, I took that from him. I didn't make that up. No, that it's, was good. it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. You can have it. <laughs> I think a lot of people who probably listen to the show are very like performance oriented in some aspect of their life, mm-hmm. right? They're, 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 if they're not listening just to hear me chit chat, like there, there's really interesting guests who can probably help them get better at something that they're interested in. Right. And I feel like for men, yeah, there's, there's definitely this stigma of you need to be tough. You need to kind of grin and bear it. You know, don't talk about your feelings. Um, I think that's changing. Yeah. Right. And even in the, the the world of sport, there's a lot of really prominent athletes, male athletes who are now coming out talking about men, uh, mental health and trying to educate folks on the need to take it seriously. And it's OK to get help. But what I'm thinking is like if, if people would kind of reframe their perspective on it and recognize like this is another area of opportunity for me to get better. Yeah. Like forget this like gender baggage maybe we carry. It's like, look, like I, I want to be the best I can possibly be. Mental health is a huge piece of that. Like if yeah, I'm maybe ne- the biggest piece of it. Yeah. Like if I'm neglecting trying to get better in that area, like I'm, I'm going to be nowhere near my full potential. And maybe that takes some of that like emotional piece out of it of like, oh, I don't really want to get help. If you look at it as an opportunity to get better as an individual. Yeah. If it was like someone's in the weight room and they're like, hey, my bench is suffering you would address the other areas that are holding you back. It's like, why do we have such a hesitancy to do that with like mental health? Yeah, I know. Well, I think it's definitely getting better. Yeah. 
You look like you wanted to say something. No, I was, I'm trying, I'm holding in a cough. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sonia feels absolutely terrible today. I'm sorry. She has been curled I up wish on I the had couch found. watching. What have you been watching today? Do I even want to say? I'm not even going to say. Okay, we won't say. But you know what? We'll, we'll just suffice to say you probably wanted to be watching Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. She's struggling. You're a trooper. I appreciate you duking this one out. <laughs> Okay. Number two, that was a good one. So, you know, you'll deviate to your lowest level of training, uh, certainly mental health. And I want to, there's, there's a couple guests I'm trying to get on the show right now who who are doing a lot in the mental health arena, um, that I want to get on the show. I think that's a huge one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, per his point, right? Like we need to get over the stigma of like, it's, it's not something that like men, uh, need to talk about. Yeah. It's not a weakness. No. Yeah. It's, we, we've got to get past that, myself included. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one that we mutually had written down, parasympathetic versus a sympathetic state. Yeah, this is not the first time someone's talked about this on the podcast. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember where I was like first introduced to this because a lot of guests on the show have talked about it. But even folks... Um, who I've had on the show, like when I've read their books, they've addressed it. And so I've tried to pay more attention to it. And I can literally now, I can feel when I'm kind of like in this heightened stress state and I can't quite get out of it. Yeah. I'm now like, oh my God, I think this is what everyone's talking about. (laughs) Like I've been like dealing with all these inputs, these stressors, whether it be like work, some other thing I had to do, lack of sleep, stress about some personal situation. And I can mm-hmm. just like feel that I'm like carrying around all that stuff and I'm like not able to like wind down. Yeah. I think that's what they're talking about. I think it is too. And it's not okay. <laughs> it's not a good way to live. No, it's horrible. Yeah. But what's interesting though is, and this is what I like about it. It's not one of those situations where it's like, eh, well, we're just kind of screwed and we got to deal with it. Like life's really hard right now and we're super busy. It's like, no, like, address it, understand that it's an issue. And fortunately there's like a lot of different things that you could do to try and address it. Yeah. Which it would be cool to get someone who's a specialist or expert on it and really yeah, dive in. I know. I know. I think we've done a good, not a good job, but it's been brought up broadly. Yeah. And some folks have given some good examples, but it would be really nice to get someone who's like, look, a lot of people suffer from this. We're overworked. We're overstressed. We have too many inputs here's how we can like shut some of that down. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the stuff that's like tried and true is like meditation. What I really want to have is someone on the podcast to talk about like the power breathing. Yes. That would be cool. Yeah. You don't want your old pal on here though. You know, people are probably left feeling like a little unsatisfied. There's some more to that story. Yeah, there is. You can tell it if you want. I I just, I just don't know if I want to share it. (laughs) Do we have moms that listen to this show? There's kids in the car. Or their ears are perking up right now. Uh, no, it just, you know, there was some sexual undertones <laughs> to the experience. And uh, yeah, I don't want to put her name out there. But uh, I don't know if we'll, I don't know. like, if, what did she do to him? Like, what happened? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to leave it there. Maybe, maybe episode 40. I'll address it. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I mean, it was basically uh, power breathing, which was awesome in itself. That was like mind-blowing, eye-opening, completely like, you know, uh, 
it was, uh, what, what's the right word? Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but there was also like a sexual education component that went hand in hand with it. Not on me personally. Yeah, not on you. Just an education that got weird. Anyways, people are like, what the hell? You just made it worse. You've like yeah. <laughs> turned up the intrigue and given me less somehow. So I'm sorry, folks. Uh, shoot it's me just a, our moms listening. So they're like, oh, please, like, don't, please don't go on. God, please stop now. <laughs> Um, but anyways, we'll have someone on to talk to us about power breathing. Oof. Yeah. But that's interesting. But yeah, I, I think this is a big one. Um, you know, and I think about this a lot too. Hmm. Do tell. Deep thoughts. The fact that like the vision was, you know, the 40 hour work week. I'm like profusely sweating now. I'm thinking that you're going to tell a weird story. I'm not going to tell a weird story. <laughs> I'm going to dial back the weirdness where this show, this show can't last <laughs> how weird these stories can get. Um, with all these technological advancements, like the whole intent was that it was, should actually reduce the amount of time that we spend working. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it should aid us in doing our jobs more efficiently. Therefore we have more time at home. Yeah. They just leisure. allow you to always have to be on. Yeah. Though. And now we've just like completely run with it in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, I can be connected all the time. Yeah. No email has to sit in my inbox. I can address it instantly. So it's like... That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. I'm just describing you. <laughs> Anyways, maybe we'll find a way to document this around the show a little bit, but I want to double down on meditation again. Yeah. I just feel so much better when I do it. I know you do. And you want to do yoga. Yeah. Mm. I, <laughs> well, he says that he always pairs his meditation with stretching, which like, I guess if we did yoga for a while, we were doing right before we got pregnant with our our youngest, we were doing yoga every night together and it was, I loved it. I know, but that pregnancy just took a toll on my body. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. So yeah, we'll do that. But uh, I don't know, we're rambling. You're sick. I don't feel good, but we're powering through. (laughs) This was, uh, this is one of my, I mean, I feel like I say that a lot, but this really was one of my favorite conversations and I love how it just, it went in a, a direction I completely did not anticipate. Yeah, but to bring it back to rowing, ro- I mean, mm-hmm. rowing's hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> really fatigues you. Have we gotten you on the rower recently? <laughs> I do it sometimes when I do that like interval with oh. the ropes and the that bike. It's really hard row. if your form isn't correct. I think my form is great, I'm Kenny. Sure. Well, no, I'm. that was not a judgment. I'm just for the people out there who aren't my wife. Yeah, okay. <laughs> But that's kind of the point. Like, it, like after watching his program and like learning how to row correctly, I was like, "Oh, this actually isn't that bad." And I actually well, I learned how to like row it. from you learning how to row. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, uh, but no, you're awesome. We'll post some videos of you rowing. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap this up. But okay. uh, yeah, feel better. Thanks, you too. And uh, hopefully next week we'll have we'll have more fun stuff to talk about. All right, I'll see you next week. Okay, see see you in a week. <laughs> All right, talk to you later, Bye. everyone. Bye.